If you've got your Bibles, if you just want to pull those out now, otherwise you can just pull out your outline. How many of you have heard of a guy called Dr. James Dobson? Can you see your hands straight up, please? Okay, great. So just to make sure. He wrote a very good book called Parenting is Not for Cowards. Now some of you in this room, you're only in one of three categories. You either, actually first of all, let's start with the basics. You either have never had children, or you have children, or you've had children. Today's message, it doesn't matter whether you're single and you're young, whether you're smack in the middle of parenting, or whether you're in the grandparenting stage, or you've never had children. These principles we're going to talk today about are going to apply to you because they apply to God. So even though this message is on parenting, it's drawing the principles directly from the character of God and the way that he interacts with us. So James Dobson, as I said, wrote a book. I highly encourage it. It's called Parenting is Not for Cowards. Now, the reason why he wrote that is parenting is a tough job. A very tough job. It's a difficult job. It's a demanding job. You obviously, there are times in your parenting life where you would just give anything for some sleep and some peace. Sleep and peace. And just about the time you start to get the hang of this thing, you get experienced in it, your kids are gone. They're out the door. Now, there are many contradictory opinions. One of my daughter-in-law says, Ian, I get dizzy with all the different conflicting advice on how to parent, how to be a good parent. One guy had five theories and no kids. And then he had five kids... And no theories, because it's tough in the real trench warfare sometimes that you end up in. So where do you go to help, get some help? Where do you get some solid, foundational, unchangeable truths to parent? Because everybody has got an opinion, and opinions are cheap, and there's millions of them. Facts and eternal truths are precious, and they're few, and you can apply them. So here we are. There's only one parent in history who's ever been a perfect parent, and that's God. It's your heavenly Father. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Be ye perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Your heavenly Father. That's what I want to focus on. God is a model parent. And by the way, if you react and treat your children the way God treats you, you will also be a good parent, a great parent. So it's actually not that complicated. Being a good parent is clearly treating your kids the same way that God treats you. Which then brings up the question, what does that look like? What does that look like, clearly? So today I want to look at what God is like, and from that I want to draw some implications and application to the parenting task. And this can affect and bless every one of you. In the first place, if I'm going to be like my Heavenly Father, I must learn to understand my children. That's the verb. I need to understand them. Psalm 103, verse 13, says this. As a father has compassion on his children... 
So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows. He knows how we were formed. He knows. Circle the word formed. God knows what makes us tick and what ticks us off too. He understands. He's aware of our makeup. He's aware of our personality. Because he understands us, he can parent us in the right way. If I'm going to be a good parent, I must learn, though, to understand my kids. See, I hear teenagers often say, my parents do not understand me. Has anybody ever heard that apart from me? Yeah, absolutely. You don't understand me. That's a typical phrase that comes out of their mouths. I know, I've had four children. (laughs) But the Bible says this. Homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and, what's the next word? Understanding. And understanding. And some of us have got the approach, well, hang on, I made these kids. Well, actually, slow down. God allowed your body to be made and your wife and husbands to produce these. But sometimes we don't really know, especially as they grow, what's going on in their hearts and their minds and their challenges. So we need to know what makes them the way they are. Because you will find if you have four kids or five kids, every one will be different. Every kid has a unique personality. See, they're not made out of a cookie cutter. Yeah, they came from your mum. I get that. But guess what? Every one of them has got a unique bent, unique gifts, unique personality, unique interests, unique motivations. They are not all the same. And one of the greatest openings of my understanding was to realize that each of my kids needs to be related to in a slightly different way. They need to be disciplined in a certain way. They need to be motivated in different ways. What motivates one will certainly not motivate the other. So homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. Conversely, homes are destroyed when there is no wisdom applied and there's little understanding of what's going on. Now again, if you have more than one child, you know the difference is night and day, even though they're the same family. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, one of the most misquoted verses or misunderstood verses in the Old Testament. Proverbs 22 verse 6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. Now, I'm not going to take a huge detour down that today, but often that verse has been used to claim train up a child in his Christian uh, values, and they'll, they'll, you know, even if they go around and sow their wild oats, the law has come back. That is flatly not true. I know many Christian parents who've done a very good job in raising their children, a good job, and their children have departed terra firma, not re-engaging the Lord. That verse does not say that. It does not mean that. But it's been wildly misquoted to prove that. Claimed as a promise. That is not what that verse says. You see, you can't motivate all your children the same way, and they don't all have the same strengths, weaknesses, talents, abilities, and interests. We need to understand the interests of each of these kids individually. A good good worker works with the grain. you work with the grain, not against the grain. A good parent understands that each child has a slightly different grain and recognizes the different potentials in each kid. The abilities and recognize the abilities they have and they encourage those abilities. And they're naturally inclined to go down, not pushing them in a different direction. 
The Amplified starts to get to the guts of this verse, which is the Amplified version. It says, train a child in keeping with his individual gift or bent. That's what it really gets to. In keeping with his individual gift or bent. If your child, what that's just saying, loves math and hates art, do not send them to Elam. That's the art school. That's dumb. That's flat stupid. The way God has shaped them with a certain abilities and personalities and gifts in this direction. Don't try and make them like you. Be understanding of how God has made them. And vice versa, if they are, well, you can see the vice versa. Good point here. I've noticed a, a deep concern about this. Many parents leave discussions about careers until their kids are about ready to leave school. That's a crazy mistake. You as a parent see these children every single day. And your job is to understand them and to understand what their talents and gifts and aptitudes are. Now you're going to wind out some of the things that don't line up to God's word. But you'll see the way that they're not kids to be molded, the flowers to be unfolded. So God's already put within them certain talents and gifts and abilities. Your job is to understand what that is and help guide them in that direction in the way God, who made them, has designed them. So, what's one of the proofs of you, that you're understanding? Proverbs 14.29 says, A man of understanding has patience. And patience gives you perspective. The proof that you understand your child is that you are patient with them. Recognizing each child as a wonderful blessing that's come from God with each of the different types of gifts and talents that he gave them. So again, that verse, train up a child in the way he should go, it means in keeping with the individual bent ability and potential that God has put within them. Now, by the way, there's a good thing to bring your children up knowing the commands of the Lord, but that verse does not guarantee that. Because salvation is guaranteed. People are saved when they choose to accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. It is never a forced or guaranteed thing. Each of your children have a choice. Second, if I'm going to be like my Heavenly Father, I must accept my children. Woo! I mean, really accept them. God wants you to accept your children just the way they are, the way they came. That doesn't mean all their bad habits. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way God made them. For example, are you perfect? Well, of course, no, I'm not perfect. But God accepts me and he accepts you just the way you are. Whilst we were yet sinners. Whoa, that's convicting. Whilst we were yet sinners. That's called Grace. So you need to accept your children because we have a tendency, I've noticed, to reject our children when they don't look like the way we want them to look. <laughs> One of my kids once came home and it looked like he stuck his head in a bottle of bleach. <laughs> Bright, like unbelievably white hair. <laughs> and we can tend to go, whoa, and reject them. Because they don't look the way we want them to look. They don't do things the way we want them to do them. Sometimes it's a really good idea to let your kids do things the way they want to. And so it hurts. And they go, you'll never have to tell them not to do this again. 
because they've learned the lesson yourself. Save yourself some breath. Just chill out. I laughed. One of my kids thought he could take on the world. This person will remain nameless. I thought the system will sort him out. The law of sowing and reaping. When he does stupid things, one day it's going to bite him really hard. And it did. But it had to bite him about 12 times until he learned that lesson. Some of my kids learn the lesson quick. Some a bit slower, you know. They want to try and push the boundary. Sometimes we reject our kids because they don't wear the same clothes that we would like them to wear. We've had a few battles over that one too. And by the way, we, don't, we sometimes reject them because they don't meet our standards as if we are the standard. The Bible says children are a gift from God. Have you accepted that gift? See, God chose the kids you were going to have. You didn't. God said, aha, Raymond and Wendy, I'm going to fly you two kids. <laughs> don't you laugh. Tina, <laughs> I saw that. I'm going to send you two. Just because I'm going to put them into your family specifically. Huh? Put them into your family. You see, you didn't choose them. God chose them to put them in your family. And the Bible says in Romans 15, 7, accept one another just, this is the qualifier, just as Christ has accepted you. God has sovereignly custom designed the children that he put in your family. And you need to accept them as a gift from him and not try and make them exact carbon copies of yourself. So we need to affirm their uniqueness because not everybody's the same. Yet we tend to send out these signals and parents, and this is what we tend to say you need to be just like me, you need to make decisions just like me. You need to be interested in the things that I'm interested in. And by the way, you need to do as good a school as what I did. Or you need to be as athletic as I was and pursue those things. Or even worse, you need to be better than me. You need to be more athletic than I was. What this is saying is that if you want to be accepted by dad or mum, I can't be myself. That's what it's saying. If I want to be accepted by mum, I can't be myself. And the only way to get accepted in this house is to perform. And I'm going to be like my parents in order to be accepted. That, friends, is tragic. It's heartbreaking. Because it can cause deep rejection and hurt. So firstly, if I'm going to be like my heavenly father, I need to understand my children. Secondly, I need to accept my children. Third one, I need to discipline my children. I do need to discipline my children. Hebrews 12, 6 says, The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. It's a sign of God's love when you're disciplined. See, discipline is for those prone to wander. The Bible says if I do not discipline my kids, then two things are true. Number one, it proves I don't really love my kids. You say, what? Where does it say that? Check out Proverbs 13, 24. What does that say? If you refuse to discipline your son, it proves you don't love him. Whoa. That's a challenge when you come home from work and you're exhausted. And you haven't got the energy to follow through. If I let him get away with this, or anything 
that I know should be corrected, and I just let it slide, it shows I don't care enough to correct. I need to care enough to correct, because God does. He convicts when we get off this channel. Number two, it also shows I'm participating in their destruction. Look at that next verse. Proverbs 19.18. Discipline your children while they are young enough to learn. Whilst they're young enough to learn, if you don't do that, you're helping them destroy themselves. Whoa, that's powerful language. And yet today I see many families in the supermarkets and other things where kids are having absolute tantrums that they can't get what they want. And the the parent is being ruled, I've seen a family ruled by a four-year-old. Insane. You're helping them destroy themselves. Now, this is a very strong warning there, friends. Look at that. Against parental passivity. That means where you just don't do much. You just let it go. And it's important to understand, though, a big point here. Very big point. The difference between discipline and punishment. Two entirely separate concepts. God never punishes his children. He disciplines them. All punishment, why? All punishment for your sins was taken by Jesus Christ on the cross. So why would God let Jesus take all the punishment on the cross and then come back and say, hey, but you're going to pay as well? That's what you call, in legal terms, what? Double jeopardy. That's what that is. All the punishment for every wrong you will ever do and every wrong your kids will ever do has already been taken care of on the cross. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation. And condemnation is also in, in, includes the thought there in that word punishment for those who are in Christ. So God does not punish his children. He disciplines them. Now what is the difference then? Let's get really clinical about this. The difference between punishment and discipline. What is that difference? Well, firstly, let's look at the purpose. The purpose of punishment is to inflict penalty. That's the same in law. The purpose of punishment is to inflict penalty. Well, I want to penalize you for what you've done wrong. It's looking backwards. That's what that is. The purpose of discipline is to promote growth. It is to promote growth. I want to correct you. I want to train you to make you better. Big difference. The focus of punishment is on the past. Always harping on about what happened back here. The purpose of discipline is focused on the future. How about the attitude? The attitude of a parent in punishment is what? Often anger. Boy, I'm so mad. I'm going to punish you. And we punish out of anger. If you ever get to that stage, just stop. It doesn't affect the crime that they've done or the shortcomings they've done. Just take a breath. Calm down. Because the the worst thing you can do is to punish in anger, because you're going to overextend what the crime needs to fit, or the punishment needs to fit the crime. 
We punish out of angry. Uh, yeah, I'm angry at you. But the motivation on their hand in discipline is love. I want to make, I want you to make this in the world. I want you to make it. I want you to do well. And there's a different emphasis. Now the Bible says that God punishes the wicked that reject him, but he disciplines his own children. Big difference. So when you discipline, you don't discipline in anger, you discipline in love. So what's the result? The result of punishment is fear and anger, guilt and more anger. But the result of discipline is security. I feel secure because I know, here's an important word, there are boundaries in my life. There are boundaries. How can you know when you're punishing and how can you know when you're disciplined? Well, one way is to look at your child's reaction. If they're cowering in fear and they're afraid, that tells you something. Because look at the next verse, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. That's why Christians don't have to be afraid of God because he doesn't punish us. We don't fear God, we love God, but he still disciplines us for our own good not to punish us in anger. Now one of the reasons why Christian kids who grow up in Christian homes, just one, there can be many, 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 many reasons. But one of them, when they reject their parents' faith, is that they were not disciplined in love. And I have seen this in my life in four countries. They were punished in anger. And as a result, what happens is they outwardly conform to the behavior expected. But inwardly, they're full of resentment and bitterness and anger. And someday, that's going to explode. And so can I encourage you on the basis of this to learn to discipline your children the way God disciplines us? Is God gracious when he disciplines you? Absolutely. See, God's got an amazing way of convicting me without condemning me. If I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be here. Probably the same with you. So God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. So how do you discipline? In Dobson's book, Dare to Discipline, there are three words that describe discipline in the Bible. Three characteristics, generally speaking. It isn't the whole picture, but I decided to choose three. And if you're going to discipline your kids, you need at least to, one, do it calmly. Do it calmly. Not as an exercise to relieve your frustration. Often for the women, it's the higher the pitch, you can tell things have got to a certain stage. And for the men, they're just flat mad. So do it calmly, otherwise you're going to discipline to relieve your frustration. You're going to feel better, a whole bunch better. But it's very easy to do. And God says, don't do that. You don't discipline in anger. Proverbs 29 verse 11 says this, A fool gives full vent to his anger. One of the fruits of the Spirit at this point should be self-control. Self-control. See, I sometimes hear, again, 
Um, poor mums. I have every empathy for mums. Solo mums are my heroes. Because, boy, it's a hard load. Sometimes I would see them in the supermarket. And the phraseology is like this. You make me so mad. What's the, what's the problem with that statement? Who's got control? The kid. You make me so mad. No, no. She has a choice whether she lets that kid. You've got to be careful because these little tykes sometimes can become tyrants. The Bible says a fool gives full vent to his anger. It's foolish to discipline your kids in anger, this Bible says. And you're only hurting yourself. Ephesians 6 4. Don't keep scolding your scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Then this is the point I want to drill on. Use loving discipline. Because again, as parents, it's really easy to find the things they're not doing, like putting the trash out. And the next week comes around, and the trash, you wait, you've got this to come. So one day I took all the empty trash and I dumped it in my son's room. He came and, whoa, what's that smell? Oh, it's the trash that you've been putting out for the last three or four weeks. Well, I nearly said who it was then. <laughs> so they've got to come to, and let me tell you, he wasn't so keen, that never ever happened again after he had the trash dumped in his room. All the bags of it. And by the way, there were six bags of smelly black trash sacks of bags. Some of it had fish guts in it. <laughs> now, I didn't have to, the, the beautiful thing is, I didn't have to raise my voice about that. It was just, Dad? And it motiv- he got his instant motivation to pull the trash out. So, number one is do it calmly. There was no, no raising the voice, no raising the volume. Just reaping the consequences of own stupid decisions. Number two, do it quickly. When you're going to discipline, do it quickly. Don't delay it. It's like justice. Delayed justice isn't justice. Don't use the line, well, just you wait till your father gets home. (laughs) Now, on the other hand, let me balance that, guys and gals. Discipline ought to be shared. One guy doesn't need to play the heavy all the time. That would be wrong. You need to be united front in that. Should be shared between husbands and wives. The Bible again says, I want to bring this back to you, uh, draw another point out of the same verse. 13.24, if you refuse to discipline your sin, it proves you don't love him. If you love him, you will be prompt to punish him. Don't drag the thing out. Number three, discipline sparingly. Sparingly. Not all the time. You see, you get more effect if you don't do it all the time. You have to be smart how you do this. Colossians 3 verse 21 says, Fathers, don't scold your children. Here's the word. Here's the principle. So much! You're always at it. So they become discouraged, and this is what you do not want, and they quit trying. And that takes some finessing. So number four, if I'm going to be like my heavenly father, I must express my love to my children. Express love to my children. Express it. If I'm going to be like my Heavenly Father, I need to do that. The Bible is full of good examples of God's love for you and I and the Father's love for his children. And every one of you, if you're a parent, love your kids. What you need to do, if you want to be a great parent though, is you need to learn to express your love for them in a way that they understand. And by the way, child A will be very different to child D. Or B or C. It's like a husband who says to his wife, 
I provide for her, I care for her, I meet all of the material needs, but there are other things that need to get through. And in the same way, there are three kinds of ways that kids understand love. There are more, but I've just decided to choose three. Here's the first one. And this is going to grate some of you guys. It's through affection. Through affection. Now, what does that look like? I have one daughter and three sons. Do you know I have kissed all of them, including my boys? I kiss and cuddle my daughter all the time and hug her. And she is married and has got three kids. I did it all the way through. Now, my boys is not quite as much. And it looks a bit ridiculous, actually, because some of my kids are six foot plus, six foot three. Trying to hug my boys up there is just a bit ridiculous sometimes. But I still slap them on the back lots and love them on them. And every time I see them, I hug them. My daughter-in-law's too. People are starved because there's been excesses on the other direction in the public space. People often don't get hugged and touched much these days. Physical contact, pats on the back. Do you know some of my kids will lie on their mother's lap? Huge gorillas of guys. Back scratch, mum. Up comes the shirt. I don't care. Their wives are there. <laughs> but that's okay. That's, that reach, it fills their buckets for some reason. They feel connected. They feel encouraged. They feel accepted and loved. Now, if you didn't grow up in a family like that, I get it. I didn't. So the implication is you can learn that. And you can pass it on to your children. Dads, hug your daughters. Love them. Kiss them on the forehead. The Bible says in Psalm 145 verse 9, the Lord has compassion on all he's made. He's very affectionate with us. Now, sadly, studies have shown that fathers are one-sixth as physically affectionate towards their kids as the mothers are. That's sad. Fathers, have the courage to hug and kiss your children. Love them. Show them affection. Show them that you care. And that, notice, hasn't cost you a dime. A loving touch can re-energize a person, re-encourage them, especially when they're uptight or feeling bummed. The second way you can show affection is through affirmation. Affirmation. In other words, the way we talk. Look at this. This is how the Father does to us. The Lord upholds and uplifts those who are down. You'll find from time to time in your life your children are really bummed out. Now, from our perspective, it might seem like a trivial thing, or it could be something very major. But we shape our kids by the way we talk to them every day. Every day. Do you talk down to them? Or do you affirm them and build them up and encourage them with encouraging words? Now, one of the things I've not always been successful, I've tried to do with my kids is I've tried to teach them it's okay if you fail. In fact, I've told my kids, it's okay to fail, but don't keep failing at the same thing. And if you're going to fail, fail fast. 
One of my kids has got multiple, or in fact, all of my kids are in businesses. And there have been times I said, walk away from that, chop it right down, sell that part, boom, gone. And to their credit, they sold it within a couple of weeks. Some things don't go well, and it's a failure. That's okay. It's an experiment. That's all it is. Well, you tried that, and it didn't work. Get up, do it again. I want my kids, and I always wanted my kids, to take risks in life. Then you could reasonably say that that's working out okay. Sometimes a little bit hairy on the risk side. Sometimes I think they're invincible and go to ridiculous places. Even my daughter, who goes from everywhere... Anyway. So I want them to go for it, but here's the point. They will not go for it if they are fearing failure. In order to teach people to be that way, you have to teach them not to fear failure. And if they do fear, fail, which all of my kids have had failures, there's a place where they can come back and they're loved and accepted, encouraged, their buckets filled up and sent out again. The empty tank of courage can be refilled. Because you know what it's like when you have a failure? Man, I didn't expect that. But you want them to be able to be re-encouraged. That's, you know, energized, like a top-up of courage. third way you express love is through attention. And it's probably the number one way that kids sense they are loved, through attention. When was the last time, here's a good question, doesn't matter whether your kids are older, younger, or mum or dad, or however it may be, that you've sat down, looked your kid in the eye, not on the run, not on the run, and said, if I had to do it all again, if I had a choice of any kids in the world, I'd choose you as my child. And I've told some of mine that in the midst of some of their battles. Psalm 145 verse 18, our Heavenly Father is near to us when we call upon him. But today we have so many absentee fathers that are not around. Cornell University did a, a recent study and attached a little microphone to kids as they monitored them for weeks, and they found that the average father spent less than 37.7 seconds talking to his children on a daily basis. Eyeball to eyeball, when he's not telling them off, giving him commands, directions, directives. Tell me what's going on in your life, Esther. You know, I'm, I'm not that, not that ridiculous thing. You know, say, hey, hon, hey, is what happened today? And you don't, you, no directives, no do this, do that, shouldn't be doing that, shouldn't, but just to be interested in their lives. Compare that to the fact that those same people are probably watching three hours of TV a day or screen time. Question, where are they getting their values? Do you know what their values are? Where are your kids learning about God? What's missing in so many families today is just this, time together. See, we're all living separate lives going in nine different directions. And the traditional meal has been replaced by fast food. So we used to talk about the dinner hour. Now we're lucky if we sit down together, if we get 15, 20 minutes. And then we're on to the next activity. I often hear a phrase used by busy people regarding time with their kids. And they say, well, I don't get much time, but it's really the quality time I'm after. But you know what? That's a bunch of rhubarb. Quality time, I've often observed uh, with some perspective, is a cop-out for overcommitment. They're doing other things which are more important to them. Now, one thing I want to say in balancing this last point up here. There's another harmful extreme which is egregious, and that's overindulgence. Where everything is focused on the child. You've heard of helicopter parenting? Huh? You heard about that? 
Well, there's a new phrase out. It's called lawnmower parenting, where basically the parent goes ahead, mows the grass, so the kid's got nice smooth grass to walk on all of their life. Get over it. Life's tough. And it's a ridiculous thing to even think of doing that for your children. Everything's focused on the child. They go from this class to that class to reading class to millions of things. And the kid is the centre of the home, the centre of attention. Friends, a child needs to learn they are not the centre of the universe. Otherwise, I think God just revolves around them. No, we revolve around him. Better they find their security in being part of a larger family network where they belong. The world will make much more sense and, and there's organisation. You see, you can give too much attention on one hand, but you can also give not enough attention on the other. And it's getting that right balance. So if I'm going to be like my Heavenly Father, I will give attention. I will give affection. Three, I'm going to give affirmation with words. Do that for your husbands and wives too. I will express it in ways that my child understands. Number five, I must be consistent with my children. Consistent. Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. He is not inconsistent. Circle all. The word righteous mere means fear. He is fear in all of his ways. See, friends, you are teaching all the time in your home. Your home is bugged. Little ears pick up every single thing that you say. Friends, you are never off the record. They are watching what you're watching. What you're saying on the phone and what you're saying to that business client. Or how you're using your phone to text all the time. Or how you're responding to your wife or your husband. They are watching that. Because that is going to be their new normal. When they leave your home, what they've experienced in your home will be your, their normal. So you need to be consistent, not inconsistent. You don't come to church on Sunday morning and sing, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Um, build my life on the firm foundation. Then Monday, live like hell. And screw all the customers and not deliver on your promises and be late and tardy. They are watching that. They're going to pick up those habits. The Bible says this. We need to live consistently before our children. Proverbs 20 verse 7. It is a wonderful heritage to have an honest father. Honest. Don't even get into shading your IRD details. Hiding stuff. You need to do what's right by the law. Now, the law's got lots of issues, but you always need to be right by the law. Always. It's a wonderful heritage to have an honest father. How do you be honest? Let me back away from this and come at this at a different angle. One of the ways you're honest is by admitting and not implying that you have to be perfect. Don't imply to your children you have to be perfect. You admit when you're wrong. And sometimes you need to say to your children, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Because pride goes before destruction. But honour, before honour is humility. Secondly, and this is, a, this is an easy trap to fall into young, young parents, is be very careful to keep your promises. So keep your promises. The Lord is faithful to all his promises. And why I say this is that little minds can often distinguish between maybe and, and no and yes. Maybe gets translated in their little minds into concrete expectations. So be careful of that. Be careful of the promises you make to your children. Last verse in the Old Testament. 
Okay, we're going to pick it up from Malachi 4.6. The last thing God says in the Old Testament, before Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, it's uppermost in his mind is this. He says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And that's what I would love to see all over East Auckland. In their families. Children's hearts turn towards their fathers and fathers' hearts turn towards their children. No church is stronger than the families in that church. And no nation is any stronger than the families in that nation. My hope today is that as we've looked at a few scriptures here, that God's example of how he deals with us may inspire you as parents-to-be, as current parents, grandparents, or people who have input into young people's lives, that it may inspire and instruct us as how to grow healthy families, especially here at New Hope. Let's pray. I just want to pray for you, some of you who are parents. And you may be feeling frustrated as parents. That your kid isn't going the way that you'd like them to go. And some of you even today recognise as you've looked back, man, I could have done better at this. Well, the good news is, is your Heavenly Father is forgiving. If you felt convicted of something, just admit your mistakes to him. And then receive the forgiveness because there is no condemnation. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just say, God, I admit it. I certainly haven't been the parent I ought to be. Well, I don't even want to be. I admit it. And I ask for your help. Help me to change the way I react and the way I parent. and the When I shoot from the lip, Lord, help me to check it with you first. Some of you are new parents and you're scared to death. Seems overwhelming. Friends, can I just say to you, it's not that complicated. Just remember this simple sentence. Treat my kids the way God treats me and you'll do okay. Some of you teenagers, I want to pray as I'm, and just address you as I'm praying. Your parents are not perfect. You know that, they know that, and God knows that. But they are God's gift to you. And for some reason, God chose them to bring you into this world. And in his word, he says clearly, you are to honor them for that. Honor your father and your mother. You too may need to be forgiving. Maybe you realize that you're not perfect either. So don't expect perfection from your parents. And maybe you would let God turn your heart to your father and your mother and reappreciate them and let your parents' heart turn towards you. Now the other group here today, those who have never accepted Christ, the Bible says you were created by God and you are his child and part of his family. And by receiving him into your life and by making a decision where you say, Jesus Christ, please forgive my sins. Come into my life and change me. Put your spirit in my life. I want to become part of your family. Do you know that God loves you? Oh, what we've talked about today is actually not so much about parenting, but about what God is like. My friend, God understands everything about you and he accepts you just like you are. Because he made you.
He will discipline you because he wants you to be better. He wants you to be all that he made you to be. He loves you and through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, he has shown his affection, his affirmation and his attention to you. The Bible says that God is consistent and faithful and he's righteous in all of his ways. Now in order to be that kind of person that you want to be, you need a spirit in your life. This is not just about a book and following that. It's about a change from within when God comes to live in you. Would you say, Jesus Christ, come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. Come right now. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the perfect father. And then we we can look to you as our model in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.